Well, good afternoon and welcome to Your DIY Health here on the Eurofolk Radio Network. I'm your host, Sergeant Jim Ram, retired. You can call me Sarge. It's Thursday, August 5th, 2021, and I'm going to dispense with all the health stuff because we're not talking health today so much. And uh, I will say visit the website, yourdiyhealth.com. That's Y-O-U-R-D-I-Y, like do-it-yourself, health, H-E-A-L-T-H. And our sister site, yourdiywealth.com, which uh, check out the Hyperfund link and you'll see a program that is uh, going to make a lot of people very, very wealthy in the coming years. It's already done so and it's working on me and it's going to work for anyone else that gets involved with as little as 300 bucks. So anyway, check that out and uh, you know the number to call into the show is 614-426-8787. 614-426-8787. One last time, 614-426-8787. And if you're on Skype, you can send a contact request to Sarge45ACP. That's S-A-R-G-E. The number's 45 and the letter's A-C-P as in Paul. And uh, mention your listener. We'll get you approved. from that point on, you can call into the show uh, via Skype. And keep in mind the topics discussed and opinions mentioned on this show are those of the host and or guests don't necessarily represent the opinions of the Eurofolk Radio Network, its owners or sponsors, or any of the alphabet agencies out there listening in. Nothing we say on the show should be construed as an attempt to diagnose, treat, or cure any kind of health or wealth issue. It's all here for your education and entertainment purposes only so that as a responsible adult, you can do your own uh, due diligence and research and use this uh, as a jumping off point so so that you can make sure that what you're doing and what you're trying is right for you. (laughs) Now, today, as usual, our guests are Mike Gaddy and Brad Peoples, and we're going to be talking about who knows what. Uh, I know we're going to get to Patrick Henry. And uh, before that, we I think we may be talking about some vaccine junk or some uh, bioweapon and stuff. So let's see where we go. Uh, Brad and Mike, welcome to the show. Yeah, thanks, Jim. Uh, how are you doing, Brad? I'm good, Mike. How are you? Well, if I was any better, I'd be illegal in Ohio. <laughs> well, you know, and we can't have that. <laughs> Only one of us can be illegal at a time here in Ohio, and that's me for now. <laughs> Oh yeah, my goodness! Jam up the works here. Yeah, so uh, I saw your last-minute uh, little uh, mention there, and uh, did you have something in particular, Mike, that you want to talk about along the uh, bio uh, weapons line, or uh, what was that about? Well, that was actually Brad, and he is limited in time today, so I thought it would be good. He wanted to bring up a subject. I'm okay. all set to do Patrick Henry, so let's let Brad go first. Yeah, go ahead, Brad. What's up? Well, Mike, that means a lot to me, and I mean that because um, I, I look at you guys as probably some of the most educated, smartest people that I that I know, and especially when it comes to conversations like what we often have. So the core of my concern is really beginning to line up my defense for mandated vaccines. I feel like we are on the precipice of that. I've only mentioned it about two times in the past week and a half or so in the courthouse uh, where I serve the public as an elected official. And both times I've even mentioned it, I've had the most odd sense of verification where, you know, the first time I talked to the other two commissioners about it and they told me that I was just a little bit too far down the rabbit hole. And then later that day, we find out that our VA office 
their employees are now subject to a term of employment, which means mandatory vaccines. And then yesterday I was in there just doing some office work and the county auditor kind of popped her head in my office. And, you know, of course, it doesn't take long to get the conversation wound down to the most controversial thing any of us have ever seen, which is these vaccines. And I mentioned to her, I said, you know, what, what is your stance on it? What, is, what would your stance be if the government decides to mandate this? And she mentioned uh, that she's seeing it in the state auditor's circle of Ohio and some of the email chains that she's a part of where they're already talking about mandating this. And I mentioned how, how foolish it seems to me for them to mandate it for the military just even in the rare instance that there's going to be bad side effects of this, you know, dear God, don't mandate it for the, the most healthy force on the, the planet at the safest age on the planet when you really just can't know yet whether or not there's going to be side effects. Hmm. Something just happened here. And I don't know what it was. You guys still there? Hmm. I just got on. Well, that's weird. Somehow or another, I got bumped off or something. I'm not sure. Um, let's see if I can do this. Resume. Justifiably so. There we Are go. we using that Constitution to say why this is, is not kosher? Or, you know, where do your guys' heads go when you think about government employees in a county government being mandated to take a vaccine as a condition of employment well my my standpoint number one is it's illegal the um at this point these things still do not have um, authorization from the fda they are emergency use only and as such they cannot be mandated uh by federal law um 21 usc uh, 360 BBB <laughs> uh, dash three is the authorization for medical products in emergency uh, use in emergencies. And um, in that section of law, it specifically says uh, under conditions of authorization, unapproved product, which is what this is. It's not approved by the FDA for use. It's approved for emergency use only. And as such, the people that uh, are getting the thing, number one, have to be uh, notified. They have to be given full um, disclosure with respect to emergency use authorization product that the secretary of the uh, uh, FDA has only authorized this for emergency use. And um, the uh, significant known, and they have to be told about the significant known and potential benefits and risks and the only benefit, according to the manufacturers, is a slight uh, reduction in the severity of symptoms. It has nothing whatsoever to do from prevention and of, of, of contracting the illness as well as um, uh, spreading it. So they have to be told that. And then they okay, have to be right told... There, Jim. What's hold that? right there, because that is such a key element in, in this personal debate that I've had with myself over about the past four days now. Mm -hmm. scientifically is it impossible for this vaccine to address containing the virus while lessening the symptoms because i've noticed a real tiptoe 
in the media around what this vaccine supposedly does. And they're very careful to not say that it builds immunity and stops the spread, which was their catchphrase from round one. And they are saying that even though 70% of the new cases in City X are among vaccinated people, take heart, America, because the symptoms are less and hospitalizations are down. Does this vaccine only lessen the side effects of the virus? Well, it depends on where it, it that's that's basically when you look at the documentation from the manufacturers. That was their stated goal was simply to lessen the the effects of the uh, or the symptomology. Uh, there was nothing in the goals as far as uh, protection from either uh, contracting the illness or spreading it, which so means it's not a vaccine. Doesn't that mean it's not a vaccine? Exactly. The scientific and legal definition of a vaccine is that it will protect you from uh, contracting and spreading. So by definition, it is not a vaccine. By definition, it is a bioweapon. Um, okay, so, so in your mind, and I don't know your medical or scientific knowledge here, so you know, tell me if I'm getting too off into the weeds, but doesn't a typical vaccine somehow help your body not contract a virus like a like a normal flu vaccine for instance well Does that's the theory <laughs> than what this vaccine supposedly has yeah that's the theory although it's never been proven there's in my opinion in the study that i've done there is no vaccine that has ever been brought out that's been worth anything they've all been dangerous they've all been worthless and in my opinion no one should ever take them period that's just my opinion based on my research Fair um, enough but the uh, the idea behind a vaccine is is supposed to equate to protection and immunity, which again has never been proven. But that's the idea behind it, like with the flu shots and these other things. Uh, but with this thing, it's a totally different new production. It's something that's never been done before. It's, it uses mRNA, tech, mRNA technology, which has never. Uh, been used in a successful product in the past because in every case when they did animal testing it killed all the animals they have not done animal testing in this case they've gone straight to humans so we are the animals we are the test guinea pigs if you know not we you know the people that are taking these things are becoming the guinea pigs without their knowledge because they're not giving inf they're not being given the informed consent such as it says here in the, the federal code um so that's that's a major problem, and uh, that's just you know part of it. They're supposed to be given the benefits, the risks. Uh, they're also supposed to be uh, known as uh, or notified of the alternatives to the product, such as hydroxychloroquine, such as ivermectin, such as budesonide, such as zinc, and um, uh, nutritional supplementation, chlorine dioxide, colloidal silver. So many things that are out there that um, basically are not available because people aren't okay, being Jim, told about it. that's vitally important. Yeah. Do you know of anyone who has had COVID and received those other forms of treatment like hydroxychloroquine? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I actually had a guy on my show uh, a couple of months ago from Texas who um, he had uh, COVID and he was told by a hospital employee, a nurse, uh, to go to his local uh, TSC and buy some uh, ivermectin paste, which is used for horses, 
and it's the same basic stuff that's in the the human dose stuff it's just you don't have to have a prescription you just walk in and buy it you use a little uh, it comes in a big plastic syringe that's designed to treat 1250 pounds uh, your average you know medium-sized horse and basically you dial it up for whatever your weight is and you take that amount and this guy uh, said that within uh, 48 hours he was perfectly fine again wow. uh, yeah and I have a friend I've uh, when he came down with it he actually was exposed to someone who had received one of the injections and he took it home and his whole, his whole household got sick and I took him some some of the stuff that I had over and uh, he got better within a few days his mom however uh, I think it was too little too late for her and she ended up in the hospital for 20 some days uh, but they while they were there they refused testing they refused um, any uh, uh, you know the the typical stuff as far as uh, vaccines or um, she would not allow her to be put on a vent and uh, luckily she survived she's back home and is finally and this has been over like a six or eight week period now she's finally getting back on her feet uh, it really knocked the wind out of her sails um, but in uh, every every case I know of, you know, and I've talked to people that have used this stuff and both prophylactically and as a treatment, and it works like a charm um, well, that's in most type cases. Well, that's argument, I guess not argument, but that's the type of information that I'm trying to secure and present to our health department in a very private setting so that maybe we as a community where I live can get ahead of this. Because I've seen, you know, my brother and I talk about this all the time. And he and I agree on it, of course, but we're, we're certainly not necessarily saving lives just by being right. You know, right. I look at my job as to try to get good information in the minds of people that, that are in certain positions in the community. So I've sent a message out to America's frontline doctors okay. to see if they would come to our community and talk with our health department, because at some point this thing is only going to be won or lost. If a health official can say, hold on a second, I'm not going to just believe everything I'm told either, and I'm going to investigate this for myself. So if I have a face-to-face -face interaction with them, with a doctor that has successfully treated somebody with hydroxychloroquine, on top of recent information that says these new cases are among vaccinated people, then maybe, just maybe, I can protect some people in my community by getting a quality source of information directly accessible to people that matter. But yeah, I just, I just covered on my morning corporate, show. That, that stems from this narrative that we've got to come to Jesus on whether or not this is even a vaccine or if it is a form of treatment. That it's neither. matters so much. <laughs> It's an either. Get in this he said, she said debate with people where your facts are for some reason better than my facts. And I, I'm struggling to win in that arena. Well, the first thing is when these people say stuff, they never back it up with information, with facts. They only make blanket statements. And in our case, we have physicians, researchers, um, I just uh, covered a thing here in the last day or so, a uh, former Pfizer employee who is a, uh, analyzes things for the drug and medical companies, and she was interviewed by uh, Stu Peters, and she confirmed that the uh, 
everything in the United States has um, graphene oxide in it, which is a toxic chemical. It will, it's the only reason it can be in there is to kill people. And she confirmed that all these injections have this stuff in it uh, in large amounts. And the thing is, the, you know, the vast majority of people, I still believe, and uh, I think Mike will agree with me based on his PSYOP uh, background, is the vast majority of people that are getting these injections are not actually getting the real McCoy. They're getting a saline solution injection, a placebo. Because the if everyone that was uh, really rolling up their sleeves was getting this, this actual uh, bioweapon, we would have dead bodies lining the streets. You know, right now we're at over 50,000 people have died from these injections um, that we can verify. And I'm thinking it's probably 10 times that amount. We're probably at half a million uh, dead from these injections, not to mention all the people that have been uh, injured and uh, physically damaged for God knows who knows how long, whether it's going to be permanent or not. But um, just within the last week and a half, uh, the Tom Rents, who is the attorney from Ohio, who's working on behalf of the America's Frontline Doctors and Stand Up Ohio, uh, has filed several lawsuits, but the most recent one was filed in the uh, Northern District of Alabama on behalf of the um, uh, American frontline doctors. And he has a whistleblower, I believe, from the um, Medicare Medicaid uh, computerized area. And she has signed an a sworn affidavit saying that she knows of at least 45,000 people that have died within three days of receiving these injections. And she's uh, you know, done a sworn affidavit, and based on that affidavit, they filed suit against the federal government. And that does not include the VAERS numbers, which right now are about 12,000 that are admitted. But there are people who have been researching this stuff, and they believe that the VAERS system has been caught erasing or deleting 150,000 deaths due to these injections. And they're slowly replacing that those those spots with people who have had adverse reactions but didn't die. So the numbers are sky high as far as people that are dying from these things, uh, because they are not anything for health. They are designed as a as a bioweapon. Um, so Jim, what would be the point of? Of the saline solution versus administering the real thing. Well, it's a you you got to realize that they did no testing to speak of when they were doing these things, and they have to have, according to the FDA, they have to have testing, and and clinical studies to show what's going on before they can get actual approval. So that's what they're doing right now. And in any clinical study, you have to have a control group and you have to have the study group. The study group is getting the actual injections. The control group is getting a placebo. And because there was no study done before, this is the study, which means they have to be giving placebo to a lot of these people. And I'm betting it's probably a, a high percentage, you know, 50, 60, 80 percent are probably getting the placebo and the rest are getting the, the, the actual injection with the graphene oxide. And as a result, we've still raked up a minimum of 50,000 dead. Now, you got to remember, when they rolled out the, the swine flu vaccine, it killed 53 people, and it was immediately pulled from the market. Now we're talking a 1,000 times that, <laughs> and they're still going forward because the goal was different. Before they were actually trying, supposedly trying to get, stop an illness, now they're trying to kill people. And okay, that's what Jim, these things are all about. How many people do you know that supposedly died of COVID? Supposedly. 
Embrace the assumption. How many do you know supposedly died of COVID? Off the top of my head, I know one person personally who allegedly died from COVID. But he had massive comorbidities. How many people do you know took the vaccine and had a had some sort of tragic event happen from the vaccine directly? I'm trying to think at this point. Personally, I don't know anyone because I don't know. I, I don't get out much and I don't know many people who have actually allegedly rolled up their sleeve. There's a couple of people at my church and they appear to be okay and I think they got saline. Mike, what about you? Well, guys, uh, I know at least uh, indirectly of at least eight people who have died after taking the vaccine. How many supposedly died of COVID? I don't know anyone. I, I'm, uh, I'm with Gaddy on that. My ratio is two to one. I know one that supposedly has died of COVID, but I know of two absolutely horrific events uh, I don't know the people directly, but I, you know, their family members talk about it on social media. And I just had a couple people fishing at my house two nights ago. Uh, the the woman said her cousin took the vaccine and within a few days started having really weird nervous system symptoms. Yeah, and I've they got thought the guy had multiple sclerosis, and now just a few weeks after, he's in the hospital learning to walk again. And the people in the hospital said, this is a result of the vaccine. They told him that. Mm -hmm. And I, I guess, guys, I'm trying to fish for real life examples like that. Well, where, I've got a lady. A I just is willing to say, no, this isn't a vaccine. It's a treatment. Yeah, I spoke. Say it's a treatment. I know of people that have been healed by ivermectin. I know of people that have died from the vaccine. Oh, because yeah. I think we've gotten so far in the weeds of this being a social media war that the, the, the combat method is, well, if you would disagree with me, it's because your information was wrong. And it's, it's an unbeatable cycle. It goes nowhere. Mm -hmm. I spoke with a friend of mine the other day who has uh, uh, several people in their church who have received the injections and a whole bunch of them are now extremely sick. And they have one lady who is in the hospital, and as of uh, the day before yesterday, they were preparing to put her on a vent, which she was just scared to death. I said, she's as good as dead, because that's malpractice in the treatment of this disease. It, it does not work for this. It's not the right form of treatment. Uh, the trouble is, is when you get into the hospital, if they're diagnosed with COVID, they are isolated. They will not let any family members in. There's no one there to advocate for those people. And they're basically at the mercy of the people in the hospital. And that's why so many people died at Ground Zero in, in New York, because they were literally just killing people with the wrong treatments. And um, I've got a short one-minute video I want to play here. This is Dr. Uh, David Martin who has been researching this stuff, not just recently, but for the last 20 years. He's got Fauci dead to rights, and listen to what he has to say. I want this number to stick in your head because this number, unfortunately, was cut out of the movie. It's been cut out of a lot of things. So you're not gonna have to cut it out of your brain because I'm gonna give it to you right now. Anthony Fauci has spent, listen to this number, $191 billion, not 3.7 million, not 30 million, $191 billion of audited funds for the bioweaponization of viruses against humanity. 
And it's your money that has been spent, $191 billion. And do you think you can get any agency or oversight body or any politician to even take that investigation on despite the fact that we have every grant recipient, every person, their address, their phone number, their laboratory, we literally have the entirety of where that money went and not a single investigation agency in this country is willing to look. This is a bioweapons program designed to kill us. That's what it is. And it's not just designed to kill us, it's designed to kill massive numbers of the population. We do not have a virus, we have a biological weapon. And he is uh, probably the top researcher when it comes to this particular stuff, all the, the background, the history. He has uh, uh, patents going back to 2002 on the viruses, the alleged vaccines, and all this other stuff. Everything that's been done by Fauci and others, uh, tying them all together. Uh, and on top of that, Dr. Sherry Tenpenny is one of the top vaccine researchers in the world. She's spent the last 20 years, about 40,000 hours researching this stuff. She calls herself an information junkie. She will not say anything that she doesn't have the paperwork to prove what she's saying. She, too, says this is a bioweapon and it will kill at least 50 million Americans, if not more. Uh, Dr. Judy Mikovits is another one who used to work with Fauci, and he screwed her royally, got her locked up because she wouldn't do the criminal stuff he wanted her to do. She's come out. Same thing. And the information is out there. Um, and the thing is, is, the difference is the people on the pro side will never, ever provide any scientific backing for anything they're saying because it doesn't exist. These guys have the documentation to prove what they are saying is true. Period. I am I am honestly stunned. This has been arguably one of the most stressful times in my life, and I don't even know if I'm going to have to face this. But I just... Still, I feel like I know what is coming. And the yep. narratives of a pandemic among the unvaccinated, we have two Americas, we have the vaccinated and the unvaccinated. I mean, I feel like I'm looking at the story of Esther. I'm looking at the story of Daniel in the lion's den. <laughs> and, you know, they, they haven't come for us yet, but it sure feels like they are. Yep. And then uh, the last thing I wanted to say is on that federal law I hadn't gotten to is uh, the last part is the option to accept or refuse administration of the product. The people have to be told that they have the right to refuse it because it is a, a experimental project. It's an emergency use only. And because of that, they cannot be forced by federal law. It's also, if you get out, uh, which I've done, the Nuremberg Code, and let's see, where is that? Basically, the first article in the Nuremberg Code uh, says exactly the same thing, that the people have to be given the voluntary consent of the human subject is absolutely essential. This means that the person involved should have the legal capacity consent, which means they should be at least 18 and none of this 12 and without your mom and dad's approval. Um, should have uh, be situated to be able to exercise free power of choice without the intervention of any element of force, fraud, deceit, duress, overreaching uh, knowledge or comprehension of the, oops, I skipped a line, 
or other ulterior form of, of constraint or coercion and should have sufficient knowledge and comprehension of the elements of the subject matter involved as to enable him to make an understanding and enlightened decision. This later or latter element requires that the uh, before the acceptance of an affirmative decision by the experimental subject, there should be made known to him uh, the nature, duration, and purpose of the experiment, the method and means by which it is to be conducted, all inconveniences and hazards reasonably to be expected, which is not being told, you could die from this, <laughs> and the effects upon the health of the person which may possibly come from his participation in the experiment. That's Article 1 of the Nuremberg Code, which the United States is a signatory to. They're violating all these laws, international and federal. And it's I, I believe it's because there is a um, government-wide uh, agenda here, and I believe the courts have been given their walking orders and been told that their marching orders, this is what you will do. You will rule against these people when they bring suit, and uh, I don't think there's going to be any recourse in the courts. You know, I know the first, the, the, the uh, trial level areas so far, the two cases I'm aware of, uh, one in Indiana, one in Texas, both cases the judges ruled against the plaintiffs, even though they had the law and the facts and common sense on their side. The idiot judges just blew it all off and said, nope, you got to take it, <laughs> and you're screwed. And here this week, uh, the three major groups in Ohio Health, um, uh, uh, shoot, uh, Doctors Hospital, OSU Medical Center, uh, Nationwide Children's Hospital, all in the Columbus area, have all come out the same uh, with their stupid mandates. Um, my wife works for one of those companies, and uh, we're going to fight it left and right. Um but it's coming down hard, and the medical community are the biggest Nazis of the bunch. And if anybody should know what's going on here, they should. And for some reason, they're just either being paid off, the people at the top are, are being told, we won't make you take it, uh, we'll pay you big money, you just make sure all the people below you take it. That kind of thing. Um, don't know for sure, but that's my assumption in this case. But the bottom line is, these things, there's no question... Anyone who analyzes these things can see, even pro people that are pro-vaccine. There's a, a Scandinavian researcher who's one of the top vaccine formulators in the world, uh, Gert Vanderbosch, and he's come out saying these things are deadly. They need to be stopped immediately. Uh, there's just tons and tons and tons of people who have the documentation to prove what they're saying. And on the other side, oh, these things are safe, effective, rigorously tested. They won't provide the data, but that's what their mantra is. Roll up your sleeves and take it because we said so. And yeah, they're, they're bluffing based on moral superiority. They have the high ground because they have the fear that's well, been drummed into people the vaccine, with the media. not trust science. They're just going. They're just, just going off Trump half cock. They're just you know they've got all their buzzwords, all their program deals, and you talk to Mike about that. He knows how to set up a, a uh, the right verbiage and everything to basically freak people out and scare them into taking the things. And we've got hundreds of years of BS that have been programmed people programming people to make them think that vaccines are safe and effective in general, which they are not, never have been, and because of that. The, the general assumption is, well, this is another vaccine. It must be safe, too. I'll roll up my sleeve and take it. You know, people will spend more time researching where they're going on their next vacation than what they're going to do about something that could affect their life. Absolutely. And it's insane. You're exactly right.
I Mike, you want to chime in? <laughs> use those key words like trust the science yeah. and stop the spread. Yeah, and the thing is, when you trust the science, that makes you automatically anti-vax. Not just also, this one, but all and, of them. And that's where I'm really trying to, and I've had this personal debate with myself, Jim, is, is if I really truly trust the science, doesn't the science prove almost undeniably that it is the result of gain-of-function research? Yeah. Okay, Everything so out I'm there that's been proven. Science, and I embrace that, that it is the result of gain-of-function research, isn't my next fair question in the scientific process why were you messing with it? Because if, if through that question, I uncover some sinister motive behind, let, let's say it's not even China. Let's say it's, it's Greece that did all this. And we Actually, it's us. To untangle this to the point of knowing <laughs> that. Let's just say it's not even China. And we find out it's that us. Greece was messing with this for some sinister reason. How do I know until I can address that that the vaccine is not part of your motive. Am I really that crazy? No. And it wasn't Greece. It was the U.S. You know, listen to him. He said $190-some billion that Fauci, U.S., U.S. taxpayers, have put into this. It started, you know, the main one is uh, University of North Carolina, Chapel Hill. That's where the major functioning was being done. And then several years ago... They came out with a thing saying that there shouldn't be gain-of-function research being done here in U.S. research centers. That's when Fauci shipped it over to the Wuhan lab in China, continued to fund it, but it wouldn't be done here in the U.S. And they've got all the documentation, the memos that said, you know, we're saying that you need to stop it, but uh, you do what you need to do, kind of, is what it was. It was, you know, a, a wink and a nod kind of a deal. They've got all that documentation. But we started it. He's been funding this thing for years. And this whole program was, it was all about the injections. They came up with the bogus illness to scare people into being willing to take the injections. And that's the whole thing. It's a, it's a total psyop. And on well, top of that, you have to go back. And when, when, when they bring up their stuff, just say, look, this has a 99.97 plus percent survival rate for virtually everyone. Why do we need anything other than basic treatment for the ones that may, might get sick? And on top of that, there are things that are proven to work which should negate the um, emergency use authorization because the only way they can get that is there cannot be any viable alternatives. That's why when this all started, you had Fauci the American Murder Association, the World Health Organization, all attacking hydroxychloroquine and saying it wasn't safe, it caused heart problems, and all this other crap. They could not have a viable treatment out there that would pre pre uh, preclude them from getting an emergency use authorization so they could start sticking needles in people's arms. And now, once they started, then they come back and say, well, these things do seem to work. And at the time, they should have said, and as such, we're going to stop the injections. But no, they didn't. And that's what some of the lawsuits are now, is to, to stop the, the American frontline doctors, is one of them, are trying to get them to stop these emergency use authorizations flat and cold because we have viable treatments that really work, that don't have negative side effects. 
There's no need for these injections at all except to kill people. Jim, let me put my opposition hat on here, okay? I'm going to just do a 180 and take the other stance, and I'm going to oppose you. Okay. Why do you think that they want to kill us all? If these vaccines are deadly and they are bioweapon, what, what does that possibly serve? Go to the Georgia Guidestones. They've been out there for years. They're one of their stated rules. These are the people that really run the world. These are the people that tell the presidents and the dictators and the rulers and the kings and queens what to do. And these people's stated goal is to reduce the world's population to 500 million. It's written in stone in Georgia. That's their goal. That's one of the things they want to do. You can say you don't believe it or not, but they do. And that's the, one of the things they want to do, which means 7 billion plus people need to die. And they're not going to get what, volunteer to go what first. What advantage does that give these people that want to reduce the population? What advantage? It just helps them achieve their goal. And this, more you know, resources for them. Yeah. The fewer people, the more resources they can claim, which is exactly what they're they doing. They want to control the world. And on top of that, Bill Gates has been on record for the longest time saying that his, his stated goal, he's a eugenicist from way back, his goal is to reduce world population, and one of the methods with which they want to do it is through vaccination programs. And he's been doing it for years. He's been killing people, especially in Africa and India, for years. He's a, he's a, um, a national war criminal over there. He can't go to those countries because <laughs> they'll, they'll find him and kill him, or at least lock him up. But, yeah, I mean, these top people, that's, they, they honestly, they got this bullcrap belief that uh, the world is overpopulated. When you could fit the entire population in the world in the state of Texas with room to spare, and uh, the rest of the world would be totally unpopulated. But that doesn't matter to them. We got too much population, and we need to kill people. Hey, Brad, put it into the simplest terms. If there are 800 people in our group and we have a million dollars, if there are only five people in our group, we have more money. Gotcha. So it really is that simple. And Fauci is a mad scientist on top of that. He just likes, he's like Mengele was in Germany. He'll do experiments on people just to see what happens. You know, he's, they're editing genes. They're trying to come up with, you know, genetically modified people, which anybody that takes one of these Pfizer and Moderna jabs, they are genetically modified organisms and technically are the property of the companies that produce the injections. Okay, now, Jim, just like I when Monsanto has that. their GMO crops and the pollen from the GMO crop goes across the street to a farmer's uh, heirloom stuff, all of us, the courts have ruled that those heirloom uh, things now belong to, G to uh, Monsanto. You know, they can take the, pro the crops. It's absolute insanity. But it's all about controlling people and getting rid of people. Hmm. <laughs> it's, you know, it's the, that's the tough part, is it doesn't take long. So, and Jim, I appreciate you willing to be honest with me in, in our little discussion here. You too, <laughs> Mike. But it does not take long before your defense just boils down to 
this is good versus evil. And that's exactly most where you lose credibility unless you, you know, unless you have a ton of wisdom and tact, like they said about Daniel in the Bible, you lose credibility because you, you start down that road and look how quick you got there, Jim. Well, you know, people can't handle the truth. And on top of that, when you have all the talking heads on TV beating people down that tell the truth, you know, that we're made out to be, you know, tinfoil hat wearers, conspiracy theorists, whatever you want to call it. But when when push comes to shove, the facts, the science is on our side. And that's why they have to resort to those things, because they don't have any facts and science on their side. So they, you know, it's the old thing in the court. When the facts are on your side, you hammer the facts. When they're on the other side, side person's side, you hammer the table. Or you hammer the other person. And that's what they're doing here. You know, rules for radicals. <laughs> Accuse the other side of that, which you're doing. They call us crazy when, in fact, they are. Well, you know. guys, think about one other thing, too, and that would be theory versus... Uh, practicality and where the scientists uh, you know trust the science all of this stuff is just uh, a part of the psyop but here stop and think about something Brad especially you might want to use this let's look at something that happened in 1903 the Wright brothers and a century of airplane builders were engineers scientists had dismissed flight as impossible even after it happened then made up a bunch of irrelevant equations to pretend to explain how it did happen. Everything that matters to our modern life was built by engineers and workers who got their hands dirty. Scientists sat in cushy universities writing textbooks after the fact, indoctrinating generations to think it was their post hoc, post hoc explanations that built things. Lord Kelvin was one of the world's most important scientists. When airplanes were invented, this is what he thought. And I quote, I have not the smallest molecule of faith in aerial navigation other than ballooning or of the expectation of good results from any of the trials we heard of. Astronomer and polymath Simon Newcomb in 1903 said actual flight is one of that class of problems with which man will never be able to cope, unquote. This was the same year in which the Wright brothers, two bicycle shop owning high school dropouts, built the first working airplane. Three years after the Wright brothers flew, the London Times dismissed their claim of flight as fake and instead wrote, and I quote, all attempts at artificial aviation are not only dangerous to human life, but foredoomed to failure from the engineering standpoint. The first commercial steam engine was invented by Simon Newcomen, a barely literate ironmonger who had never come in contact with a scientist. James Watt was a technician, not a scientist, and explicitly denied that any scientific theories influenced his invention. The scientific method is practiced by engineers building things, experimenting to see what works. Professional science consists mostly of nerds quibbling over each other's irrelevant papers and agreeing they all (laughs) need more funding. Nothing in science needs trust. I don't trust anyone to get in an airplane. I look at the track record of airplanes and decide the risks are acceptable given the benefits. Trust science is how you end up with billions of lives destroyed over a virus hysteria. I'm done. Wow. The only people, Brad, 
the only people who are immune from the uh, side effects or any effects of this vaccine are the people who made it. They are immune from criminal prosecution or civil prosecution. That is the only immunity that comes with those vaccines. And ask yourself this question. Why is it that this, this particular thing, that, you know, we've had, we've had illnesses come and go over the years. We've had the bird flu, the avian flu, the swine flu, all these other things. You know, they came out with the injections for some of them, and they killed people, but people took them. And, but there was no big push. Now, this thing, no matter what, they are doing everything they humanly possibly can to see to it that every man, woman, and child on the face of the planet gets stabbed with this stuff. Why? For something that has a 99.9 plus percent survival rate for virtually everyone above the age or below the age of 70 that doesn't have massive comorbidities. You've had about 30,000 people in this country die from COVID which is about half what you have from a normal seasonal flu. But right now, with the, just the numbers that we know of, we've had a, almost twice that number die from the injections, and they're still pushing them. Why? Well, if I still have my opposition hat on, Jim, I would say that, you know, as the local health official, 600,000 Americans have died from COVID, not 30,000. Well, according to the CDC's own numbers, only 5% of that number died from COVID. The rest all died from massive comorbidities, and they were just labeled as a COVID death to increase the numbers because every hosp- everybody that died of COVID, there was lots and lots of money in it for the hospitals, the doctors, and everybody else. You get diagnosed with COVID, it was a $13,000 plus. If you get put on a vent, it's another $53,000, I think it was, something like that, or $39,000, excuse me. Uh, but just for a diagnosis and a ventilator a deal, a hospital would make 50 some grand set by having a person on COVID. If it was you know, pneumonia, they wouldn't get anything. Our health officials say that's preposterous. What's that? They say that's not true. It's true. Hey, it's uh, government Brad, numbers. There was a... There was a U.S. senator uh, from, or a former U.S. senator from from Minnesota or Wisconsin, I can't remember what, a year ago, when this thing was just reaching... It was Senator Johnson, probably. He actually came out. He was a medical doctor, and he actually came out with those figures, and he had the proof. If I can find it, I'll find it for you. Oh, yeah. He said, these are what the hospitals are being paid for this. There's no question. Anybody that says it's a lie is just tipping. They're just they're just blowing it off. Prove it, because <laughs> we've got documents that show that it is true. Okay. Well, that I mean that's a huge, huge. All you got to do is audit any hospital that's had a COVID patient. Request. You'll see on their books. You know, but uh, the whole thing is just an absolute farce. It's it's a media made-for-TV movie, basically. They have drummed up so much death and destruction hand-wringing that people are scared to death. And the best way to get people to do things is to keep them scared. And that's exactly what's happened here. There's no truth behind any of it. You know, if the, if the media had shut up and the Democrats had shut up, this would have blown, blown over like any other bug. And it would have been a nothing burger. 
but because they constantly hammer it left and right. Every time people start to lose interest in it, what happens? We've got a new variant. We've got more cases. Cases are nothing more than ramping up the number of cycles on the PCR test that was never designed for diagnostic purposes so that they could have more false positives, up to 94% false positives. And then when they start rolling out the injections, what do they do? They reduce the number of cycles on the PCR test so that the false positives drops, and that way they can say that the injections are working. It's all smoke and mirrors. There is no need for anybody to worry about this stuff, and it's nothing. People could go, should have been, you know, it should have been a news blip real quick, and it would have been over, and then people could have gone back to their normal lives. There was no need for destroying the economies of our country and so many others. There was no reason to destroy the lives of so many people. The number one cause of death right now in kids age 0 to 17 is suicide. You know, or 12 to 17, I should say. It's unbelievable. What this has done to people for no reason whatsoever, it's nothing but crimes against humanity. And anyone who engages in forcing these things on people is engaging in crimes against humanity. You know, we have the right to bodily autonomy. God gave us that right, and the Constitution guarantees that right for what little good it does. But Article 1, Section 4, the people are to be secure in their persons, papers, bodies, you know, their persons and effects. You know, to be secure, that means you got to say on what goes in and doesn't go in. And nobody has any authority at any time, whether it's a public uh, uh, health emergency or not, even though it's trumped up, they don't have any right to tell you that you got to take this, period. And they can't. And four or nine... Uh, what do they call them, nine clowns in black gowns, like Mike likes to say? I don't care what they say. Anybody comes at me to try and inject me, I will shoot them. <laughs> Period. Because it's a bioweapon, and it's attempted murder, as far as I'm concerned, based on my research. Well, and I've even got, Jim, I've got a kind of another category of defense of this <laughs> that just looks at the political science. You know, in a perfect example, when you mentioned the economy... What do you what do you just objectively observe did more damage to our economy, the virus itself or the legislation that was intentionally passed to address the effects of the virus on the economy? Well, the, the thing is, the virus would have had no effect whatsoever had it not been for the legislation and the scare tactics put out by the Democrats and the media. Yep. The so whole thing really came as a result of that. Observing that. What's that? I mean, does it make me a fool if I see that and I question, like, hey, that doesn't look like a normal response? And even if it was, even if you just overshot it a little bit, why aren't you now observing the side effects of what you've done legislatively and retracting some of this forgiveness of rent payments and all of the extra stimulus payments so that you can get people back to work? Why are you not acknowledging the need to do that? Because it doesn't fit the agenda. Their agenda is to destroy the economy, the people's will to fight back. That's why all the lockdowns, people, you know, you look at the founding of this country, where was all the scheming, where was all the plotting, where was all the discussing of things take place? Churches and bars, mainly. And where do they want to shut down? Churches and bars. 
It's the same game plan over and over and over again, whether it's King George or, or King Joey <laughs> and the Hoey. You know, it doesn't make any difference. It's the same game plan over and over again. They're trying to keep people from being able to talk about stuff, to figure out what they're going to do, to develop a game plan. But the bottom line is there's no reason to do what they're doing other than to destroy the country and to bring in world government, which is their ultimate goal. A new world order, as George H.W. Bush used to say all the time. You know, that's what they're trying to do. And they're, they're hell-bent for leather to do it. I mean, they have exposed their hand, and they're at the point where they're do, it's do or die. And it's the same for us. You know, either we stand up and do something or we're screwed. And, you know, it's, it's, it's one side's going to win, one side's going to lose. It's good against evil, flat out. But the people that aren't asking these questions, they're the ones that are unfortunately uh, fools. <laughs> and, uh, oh, Mike got called and knocked out, apparently. Mike, did you get bumped off? Hmm. That's strange. This we're, Skype's been acting really strange today. I don't know what's going on. Mike, are you there? Can you hear me, Jim? Yeah, there you are. Did you get okay, bumped well, off? I tell you what, it did this to us Sunday night, and yeah. it was just absolutely unreal, all the stuff that was happening. I listened I to that show, and I said, what's going now? on? <laughs> it's crazy. Yeah, the same thing happened here at the beginning of the show. I got bumped off, and it was like there was two calls going at the same time. I don't know what it was. And I think Robert tried to call in. I'm going to try and get him on here. Um, and, uh, there he is. Let's see if we can... Yeah, this goofy thing. I am really learning to hate Skype. <laughs> it's a, you know, unfortunately it works when it works, but when it doesn't, it's a royal pain. But, it used um, to be great. Who bought it out? What's that? It used to be really good, Jim, until someone bought it out. Exactly. What company was it bought Skype? Yeah, the same guy that is trying to kill people with uh, injections. <laughs> yep, that's what I thought. <laughs> Is is making me mad, but yeah, it's it's crazy. Um, on as a matter of fact, last night when unplugged in the chat room said, and our representatives are doing nothing about it. And I was talking to a, a friend of mine last night who just happens to be on the staff of um, Jim Jordan, and I said he's got to start talking about this stuff. And uh, I basically filled him in. I gave him a whole bunch of contact information and websites and stuff on Sherry Tenpenny, David Martin, Judy Mikovits, and so many others. And uh, he's going to try and get it to him and get him to look at it. Um, we'll see, because uh, that'll tell us a lot whether or not anybody in government's actually going to say anything. But there are some people that I would love to think would be at least decent enough to talk the truth about this, but I'm starting to think that's not the case. Uh, and we'll find out. And I was bummed out last night. Uh, Laura Trump was on uh, Greg Gutfeld's show on 11 o'clock, his late night show. And she was pushing the vaccines and talking about how great they were. And I wanted to slap her. <laughs> See, you know, the thing is, people are relatively intelligent. But when they get involved with this stuff, they become royally stupid. And it's, it's, it's our side against their side. And, you know, again, the mass deception over the years of the fact that supposedly vaccines are, are good when, in fact, they're not. Um, I'm reading a book right now called Vaccines, the Biggest Fraud in Medical History. 
and I highly recommend it. It goes clear back to Edward Jenner's time in the late 1700s. And the stuff that was done back then and the people that have died as a result of his idiocy over the years has just been unconscionable. And there has never been a reason for a vaccine. Every single disease they claim was stopped by vaccines was was already gone or on the way out before the vaccine was ever brought on the market. And the vaccines actually caused a recurrence of those diseases. Uh, Polio was a big one. Yeah. Eustace Mullins wrote the book Death by Injection. I've got it free download on my site. And as soon as I can, I'm also going to put up the, uh, the Horrors of Vaccination, which is a book from the early, it's either the late 18 or early 1900s, and has all kinds of case histories of these kids that got mostly the smallpox injections and the, just the horrific uh, things they went through before they died. Just unbelievable. And uh, anybody that could look at this stuff and still believe in these things is, is they don't have two brain cells to rub together. That's it. Um, well, Jim, if I may, let me give a shout out, shout out to Mary Bailey. She sent me the uh, senator I was talking about was a state senator from Minnesota. Uh, he was not a U.S. senator. I apologize okay. for any inc- incorrect uh, statement on that effect. But his name is, uh, let's see, Jensen. Yes. Jim Jensen. Okay. And uh, you can, uh, I'll send you a link to his stuff. Minnesota State Senator, known for questioning COVID-19 death count, says he was being uh, investigated, that he is currently being investigated by the state of Minnesota. And he is an MD. Okay. Um, And uh, Brad just had to jump off. He's got another call at two. So uh, we're on our own at this point, um, but I think that was a, hopefully it provided him with some information. I know he's he's got to be going through some tough times right now with all the craziness that's going on. And of course, he's the only one who's um, got any real information and the cognitive dissonance on the other side of things who, you know, I'm, I'm giving these people the benefit of the doubt, thinking that they're well-meaning um, but they've been brainwashed and uh, and you know propagandized for so long that they're they're thinking that it's the right thing to do to recommend this stuff and possibly mandate it. I don't know how anyone can be an American and think that mandates are of any kind are proper, <laughs> especially when it comes to this kind of thing. And you know, people, if you don't have bodily autonomy, control over your own body, there is no such thing as any semblance of, of liberty in this country ever, you know, from this point forward. And well, um, I believe, it, Jim, it was Thomas Jefferson who said uh, the most critical thing about liberty is you must be able to own yourself. If you cannot own yourself, you will never be free. Bingo. That's that's very very true, and then you know, the one that's is is you know supposedly uh, on uh, Franklin those who would give up a you know essential liberty for a little temporary you know essential liberty for a little temporary security deserve neither, and that's where we're at. These people are scared. They think that this injection will give them safety and security. They're too stupid and lazy to do the research to find out that just the opposite is true. And they're willing to give up their bodily autonomy and their lives, in many cases, 
for a perception of safety and security, which they'll never have. And it just shows the ignorance of the American, well, boobus Americanus. <laughs> you know, that, uh, that is a perfect term. People are just so freaking stupid anymore. It's unbelievable. And it, it does, it boils down to good versus evil. There's no question. Because what they oh, are trying to do yeah, is the epitome that's, that's of evil. The bottom, and uh, throughout history, the government has always been evil. Mm -hmm. uh, no matter which way you look at it, how many documents you think you have. I was trying to tell some people this week. Do you realize that Stalin, Hitler, and Mao Zedong, all of them had restrictive constitutions in place? <laughs> all of them did, and regardless of the millions of people they killed, all of their judicial system said it was legal? Yeah. Everything they did was legal. Wasn't lawful, but it was legal. <laughs> oh. Certainly wasn't moral. No. That's for sure. Yeah, yeah, everything Hitler did, he had a law in place to cover it. <laughs> yeah. Well, Jim, do you want to jump into old Patrick Henry? Certainly. <laughs> Let's do that. Go right ahead. All right. Well, I'm uh, doing a, a three-part uh, uh, program on Patrick Henry this week, and tomorrow we're going to jump on it on uh, Revolution Radio Studio A at noon. We're going to delve into Patrick Henry there, and then uh, Sunday evening uh, between uh, uh, Daryl Wayne and myself, we're also going to go into Patrick Henry mm -hmm. and... Uh, because I, I think I could very possibly do a month of shows about that man. And I'll bet. he is so misunderstood in our history. Everybody remembers, give me liberty or give me death. And that's about the extent of their knowledge about Patrick Henry. Mm -hmm. Patrick Henry was a common man in many respects from Western Virginia. He was from rural Virginia. He was not a member of the, uh, you know, the plantation elite and all of those people. Mm -hmm. And yes, uh, he ended up owning a plantation in his later life, and yes, he owned slaves. But he had a different upbringing, a totally different upbringing. He was not from the wealthy and the well-born. As a matter of fact, he went broke twice trying to run a store. And most people are totally unaware of that. And he finally got a job with his wife's father at his tavern, uh, basically waiting tables and doing whatever you would do in a tavern. Mm -hmm. And he began to listen to the attorneys who would come in and talk about their court cases, and he became enthralled with it and decided that was something he wanted to do. He wanted to get into that. And uh, so, but, you know, I have made this statement, and I totally believe this that without Patrick Henry, we probably wouldn't have had an America. Probably not. Because it was Patrick Henry in 1765 at the uh, Virginia House of Burgesses, which was the ruling body in Virginia. Mm -hmm. And uh, the western part of Virginia had just elected this uh, young, raw-boned lawyer who shows up at the Virginia House of Burgesses, and he's there with all of the wealthy and the well-born with their powdered wigs and all of their gala garments and all this other stuff. And when he first showed up for the first meeting, 
he was not allowed in. They said, oh, no, you can't come in here. You you honestly cannot be a member of the House of Burgesses. Look at you. You've got on homespun clothes. You have no elegance. What's wrong with you? <laughs> and he and he Patrick Henry produced his uh, authentication that he had been elected. And he was uh, pretty well told, well, you're our newest member here. And uh, so just have a seat and learn to keep your mouth shut. <laughs> Well, big mistake. Uh, and I'm pretty sure the same thing happens today uh, after oh, every yeah. new election of Congress, if there's anybody in there that uh, looks like they might be a problem. But anyway, Patrick Henry sat there for a little while, and then he started hearing them talk about how they were going to accept, readily accept the Stamp Act, which was going to tax everything they did. From every angle, they were going to have a tax. And so Patrick Henry couldn't take it anymore. He sat there and scribbled down seven provisions or seven resolutions, which he read to the uh, which he read to the uh, uh, assembled body. But when he first started talking about how they had to do something about this taxation, that it was slavery, and he said something uh, to the effect that, "Hey, we've got to stand against the king and his taxes." He was, it was the uh, president of the uh, House of Burgesses or the chairman started yelling treason, treason, treason. Mm -hmm. And Patrick Henry says, well, if this be treason, let's make the most of it. <laughs> I like so, that, dude. <laughs> so uh, he was, without him and his resolutions uh, in the that we call the Virginia Resolutions, if, it, if we hadn't had those in 1765, because you can track it, and I've written a whole series of lessons on this, Jim. Mm -hmm. But you can track Patrick Henry. Actually, uh, the lessons of Patrick Henry traveling through word of mouth and through the newspapers. And about five, six days later, they reached Samuel Adams in Boston, Massachusetts. And Samuel Adams admitted these were the very words that prompted him to found the Sons of Liberty. Wow. So Patrick Henry was, has been involved in this from the get-go and was the instigator for so many. And we look at that, and if you read the letters, and I've read thousands upon thousands of letters among the founders, got most of them in boxes somewhere in storage, and I've read those letters, which I got from the National Archives, uh, the Library of Congress, University of Virginia, University of North Carolina, and uh, several other places that I picked up these Virginia Commonwealth the places where I was able to pick up copies of these documents back in the 80s. And it's it's just unreal what they were all saying is those people we call our founders, and they talked about the absolute brilliance of Patrick Henry, but they also, they were very fearful of Patrick Henry because Patrick Henry had said, give me liberty or give me death, and that is exactly what he meant. Mm-hmm. There, there wasn't any uh, oh, uh, equivocation. He wasn't going, oh, well, if you do this, I'll take that. If you do this, I'll take that. No, but he scared those people, and he scared them quite a bit. And how many people know that when he gave that presentation in 1765, a m man who was an attorney, a young attorney, but he wasn't a member of the House of Burgesses, was standing in the alcove, and he listened to Patrick Henry speak. And he wrote that 
Patrick Henry spoke as Homer wrote. <laughs> to give you some kind of idea of his yep. eloquence. His eloquence, it was just unreal, his, his uh, speaking ability. Mm-hmm. And so, but here's the point. Many, many of the people we call founders were very much afraid of him. And I, I mean, afraid. Well, you know, it seems that it's the, you know, the, the house of Burgesses, you know, with their powdered wigs and everything, you can't come in here. You're just, you know, common. They were the aristocracy who basically had what they had by grants of the crown, most likely. And they were there trying to walk the fence to figure out how they could have the favor of the crown and still, um, have the ear of the people and here comes a guy who is all about liberty the crown be damned and we're not putting up with this stuff because it's tyranny and these people just don't know what to do something's got to be done about this guy he's going to mess up our deal (laughs) he's going to upset our apple cart and uh, i think that's a big part of it and the same thing happens today um at least the perception you know when uh you got a crap game you'll have both sides against each other but if someone from the outside attacks the crap game all of a sudden the two rival factors inside will work together because they're both defending their their deal and i think that's what we saw when trump got elected or at least that was the perception of it Here's an outsider that's coming in, and we have both Republicans and Democrats attacking him for the you know four for four years, and uh, or longer, even during the uh, uh, campaign time. Well, and Jim, they're still at it, but uh, yeah, you and, and they're I still have at it. Opinions there. I think uh, Trump was part of the psyop. Yeah, uh, from the but you know, at least the perception the of it though, and that's part of the psyop too. Doing nothing. Yeah, this it's the perception from the psyop. Uh, but here's an outsider that comes in and, uh, and upsets their crap game, and they both sides attack him, uh, whether it was real or contrived, <laughs> when who knows. But um, that's the same kind of thing. But you know, well, and most of the people, Jim, in our history that we call Federalist founders, mm-hmm. most of those people were independently wealthy, but right. they had become wealthy because of King George. Yeah. As you alluded to earlier, these mm-hmm. people had made their fortunes on the British mercantile system, and they didn't want to give it up. Yeah. They and had a system a that was working example. great for them. Most people are totally unaware of this letter, but this one was a letter from Thomas Jefferson to James Madison hmm. on December the 8th, 1784. So this is two, two and a half years before the Constitutional Convention. Mm-hmm. Now listen to what Jefferson said to James Madison. He said, the proposition for a new convention has had the result I expected. If one could be obtained, I do not know whether it would do more harm than good. While Mr. Henry lives, another bad constitution could be formed and saddled forever on us. What we have to do, I think, is to devoutly pray for his death. And this was, did you say that was Jefferson to Madison or vice yes. versa? Yes. 
Jefferson said to Madison, we should devoutly pray for Patrick Henry's death. Holy mackerel. <sighs> so, and this is what, you know, I so many times have these conversations with people. And they're telling me how wonderful the Constitution is and that I'm some kind of crazy guy because I oppose it and all this other stuff. And you ask them if they've ever read these letters and they'll tell you, nope, don't need to. I know my stuff. <laughs> you just following your programming. Yeah. But here is uh, hmm. one of the things that... Uh, you know, Patrick Henry was obviously a, you know, so devout, so much about freedom. But there is one episode I would like to relate to the people. And this is where Patrick Henry proved himself human. And uh, as I wrote in one of my lessons, I said, from an early childhood on, my all-time favorite hero from American history has to be Patrick Henry. Although his give me liberty or give me death speech from St. John's Church in Richmond, Virginia in March of 1775 mm -hmm. is probably the highlight of his life to most Americans. Yeah. His passion and dedication to liberty and individual rights throughout his lifetime is a wonderful example for all of us to aspire to emulate. Mm -hmm. On June the 4th of 1788, Patrick Henry gave voice to that passion in his opening speech to the delegates and spectators gathered to hear the debates of the Virginia Ratification Convention. It is important here to remember that Patrick had declined an invitation to the Constitutional Convention in Philadelphia the previous year declaring he, and I quote, smelt a rat leaning toward a monarchy in Philadelphia, mm -hmm. unquote. And oh, how correct he was. Yep. But back to those words on June the 4th of 1788. Now, people listen to this, and this is a direct quote from Patrick Henry. And you find me one Federalist, one of these wonderful people, Washington, Madison, Hamilton, Jefferson, any of them that ever said anything near this. And I'm going to read it slowly because it is so important. At the opening of the Virginia Ratification Convention in June, Patrick Henry was the first speaker after the chairman. And he said, and I quote, I consider myself as the servant of the people of this commonwealth and as a sentinel over their rights, liberty, and happiness. I represent their feelings when I say that they are exceedingly uneasy at being brought from that state of full security which they enjoyed to the present delusive appearance of things, unquote. So Patrick Henry, the one that the founders themselves said was the most devout Christian among them, said that the people were perfectly happy under the Articles of Confederation mm -hmm. and that the Constitution was a delusive appearance of things. Man. So then... I, and I, as I said, that uh, Patrick Henry was just, you know, you know, compare what he said. Stop and think. Compare what Henry said about being the guardian of the right, the sentinel over right. the rights and liberty and happiness of the people mm -hmm. of Virginia. 
Now compare that with what George Washington said to John Jay in a letter when he said, and I quote, experience has taught us that men will not adopt and carry into execution measures the best calculated for their own good without the intervention of a coercive power. And Congress have too frequently made use of the suppliant, humble tone of requisition in application to the states when they had a right to assume their imperial dignity and command obedience. Now, what's the difference in Washington and Patrick Henry here? Oh, man, he was a different. My, my stuff doesn't stink elitist. And, uh, you know, we're, we're, we're smarter than those, you know, sidebusters, and we're going to do things, you know, for their exactly, own good. And that's exactly whether what they're they like it or not. Today, Jim, this thing parallels so much. These people know so much more than we do. Mm-hmm. And if they say we have to take a damn vaccine, we ought to take the damn vaccine. Exactly. That is the same thing that, uh, George Washington was saying, and he said, we have a right to assume our imperial dignity and to command obedience. That's the same thing these people think today. I'm surprised he didn't go along with being the king. At the convention in Philadelphia, and I quote, this country must be united. If persuasion does not unite it, our swords will. Now, does that sound like someone who is who is a, a protector of the people's rights, liberty, and not happiness? hardly <laughs> abuser of them, maybe, but not a protector of them. Right, man. So, here is I'll uh, I'll read the next paragraph from the lesson that I've written on Patrick Henry. But in the title of this missive, the claim was made that at some point in time, Patrick Henry uh, may have dropped the ball in his pursuit of liberty and the protection of rights of the people. I posit that occurred on the opening day of the aforementioned ratification convention in Virginia. Henry was well aware of the move for an entirely new form of government to be accomplished with the elimination of the restrictions, especially of Article 2 and Article 13 of the Articles of Confederation, was a conspiracy which began with the meeting at Mount Vernon in 1785 and had continued with the Annapolis Convention in 1786. He was also aware of that which has been established on several occasions in previous lessons that the delegates to the Philadelphia Convention had been authorized only to amend the Articles as opposed to creating an entirely new form of government. And as uh, Sentinel said, uh, the Constitutional Convention was a criminal conspiracy, and he was exactly right, because they did it in secret and they broke the law. Those are the, uh, and the law they broke was the law of the land at the time they did it, and that was the Articles of Confederation. And while the Federalists continually fostered the claim their purpose for the meeting was to deal with commerce, they were not totally forthcoming with the fact the commerce they were concerned with was their own commerce and that the, not the commerce of the people themselves. The Federalists sought to establish a government which would allow them to feather their own nest with the power of taxing the people to pay for their commercial adventures, and they succeeded in that endeavor. The Assumption Act is proof positive of my position in this regard. Patrick Henry, probably better than most, had seen through the machinations of these designing men and sought to bring it to the attention of the delegates to the Virginia Convention on the very first day now. Now taken directly from the words of that convention, And it says, the convention, according to the order of the day, resolved itself into a committee of the whole convention to take into consideration the proposed plan of government. Mr. With in the chair. 
So Patrick Henry made a motion, and here was Patrick Henry's motion, and I quote, that the act of assembly appointing deputies to meet at Annapolis to consult with those from other states on the situation of the commerce of the United States, the act of assembly appointing deputies to meet at Philadelphia to revise the Articles of Confederation and other public papers relative thereto should be read and produced. And continuing my, with my lesson, I wrote this. The Federalists must have frozen in their shoes at Patrick Henry's motion. Had all of these Federalist machinations to form a new government been made public at this time, the very idea of ratification would have been blown out of the water in the state of Virginia. But immediately, passionate Federalist Edmund Pendleton who had repeatedly clashed with Patrick Henry over his stance on the Stamp Act and other issues with England, he considered to be divisive and had previously referred to Henry as a demagogue, made a completely absurd yet very revealing objection to Patrick Henry's motion. Okay. Between Edmund Pendleton and Patrick Henry became so contentious during the 20-some days of the Virginia Ratification Convention, that there are many people who had written that they thought that either Pendleton or Patrick Henry was going to challenge the other one to a duel. That's how contentious these hearings were. <laughs> and the Federalists knew how strong Patrick Henry was and knew his persuasive oratory. So they sent John Marshall, Pendleton, Madison, and others there to counter Patrick Henry. But here's what Mr. Pendleton said, and this is so telling. Mr. Chairman, we are not to consider whether the federal convention exceeded their delegated powers. It strikes my mind that this ought not to influence our deliberations. Edmund Pendleton said right then that whether they were Legal or not should not be a consideration. Now, guys, stop and think about it. Would you accept that if people wanted to write a new constitution today and they did it illegally? And the fact that they did it illegally would be fine and shouldn't be considered? Most people would. <laughs> I wouldn't. <laughs> I'd be right there by Patrick Henry. Said, well, yeah, what he said. Making, <laughs> go ahead, Jim. I'm they're sorry. making laws all the time there, Mike, that yep. goes Cody, we can barely hear you. That's my interpretation. Okay. Exactly. And he said, can you hear this time. No? Well, let me see if I can tweak things a bit. Okay, go ahead, Jim. Well, I was just trying to get so I could hear what Cody was saying. Well, me is too. That, is that any good? Uh, get as close no. to your mic as you can. You're, you're coming now, through I better. I got a good mic, so let me call back. Okay. <laughs> Alrighty. Okay, I will continue with what Mr. Pendleton said. Okay. This Constitution was transmitted to Congress by that convention, by the Congress transmitted to our legislature, by them recommended to the people. The people have sent us hither to determine whether this government be a proper one or not. I did not expect that these papers would have been brought forth or demanded. Although, gentlemen, although here, an admission. Although those gentlemen were only directed and authorized to consider the defects of the old system 
and not to devise a new one, they found it so thoroughly defective as not to admit a revising and submitted a new system for our consideration. So here, Pendleton admits that they didn't do what they were told to do when they got there. Mm -hmm. This is why, Jim, and you've mentioned it on several occasions, uh, the idea of a con-con should scare the crap out of people. Yep. Does mean. Because they, they got there, and if you read the minutes of that first constitutional, uh, the constitutional convention in Philadelphia, they never mentioned amending the articles. They went straight into considering the Virginia plan. There was never a mention of we have been sent here to do this, to amend. The, they never said, let's try it, see what we can do. It was never attempted. So that proves, and then Pendleton said, I cannot find any degree of propriety in reading those papers. So the Federalists, as voiced by Pendleton, here stated that it was irrelevant as to whether they, whether had, they acted had acted. Whoa. Okay, go ahead. Go ahead, Cody. Try it again. Is that any better? Yeah, that's better. Go ahead. I rebooted. Now I forgot what I was going to say. <laughs> but, I, you know, they're constantly <laughs> doing it anyway with the Constitution, so what's the difference if they make a new Constitution or they just pervert the, uh, you know, the one that we're supposed to have? Well, and that is a classic point there, Cody, because as Jim alluded to earlier, and I had a conversation with a, with a lawyer in Arkansas yesterday for quite some time and I was we were talking about what they were trying to do in Arkansas and I said that is a total violation of the Constitution and he said well and I told him what provisions of the Constitution and he said well but the government has written laws contrary to that provision in the Constitution I said oh well I won't mention his name but I said look Nowhere in any constitution is given the right for the government to write laws which amend the constitution. They do not have that power. And this attorney says, and he's a good guy, this attorney says, well, Mike, you know it doesn't really make any difference. The judges are going to rule the way they're told to rule anyway. Well, and that's why we've got to get back to the uh, the people being the ultimate uh, deciders of uh, not only fact but law. You know, people out there have not been involved with courts. They don't realize that jury instructions, the judges will only allow them to, to decide facts of the case. Now, they can do it through jury nullification if they're astute, but not enough people are astute to realize they've got that common law right. Yeah. Well, Cody, the people do not even have the right to rule on the facts because the government writes the rules of evidence and the and and the judge decides what evidence they can hear and not hear. Yeah, that's a good point. So the people don't even have the uh, the to look at the facts. The facts are look, we're going to give you the facts, just like the vaccine thing. We're going to give you your facts. Now you make a decision. Yeah. And if you now, try to bring, if you try to bring up anything contrary, we'll overrule it. Yeah, and you That's had that good show on on uh, juries, and guys can go back and look. Was that on Jim's show here, or was that on your Sunday show? It's a little harder to find the archives on 
Revolution Radio compared to Jim does a nice job here on CastBox. I can find it pretty quick every Thursday show. He does but. a great one, but if anyone uh, wants to get to the archives on, uh, I'm going to tell you how to do it. If you want to get to the archives on Revolution Radio, go to freedomslips.com, click on the icon, it will come down and it will say archives. And then it will come mm -hmm. in and it will say username and password. The username you use is RevRadio, R-E-V-R-A-D-I-O, all lowercase, and then in where it says password, put rocks, R-O-C-K-S, exclamation point. All lowercase. Right. Yep. If you do that, you can get to every archive, that's every program that's up there. It coming. works like a charm. I've got into it, but it's not organized real well. They need They're to have by date. on there so I can search just by your show. And sometimes yeah, you just have to do it, the, the, the show and the date. It's a little harder. Well, there's lots of things they could could do, but I'm not the boss of those folks. So right, it's hard <laughs> when you got limited budgets to spend a lot of time on that. Uh, when you get a second there, uh, Michael, remind everybody. And uh, you said there was a couple states that were basically strong armed, threatened with invasion if they didn't uh, ratify the Constitution. And talk about how uh, you know really that's you can't have a legal contract if you're well. They were forced uh, into it. The two states, uh, when the uh, uh, new government convened under the uh, Constitution of 1787, uh, when, those, uh, when that government convened in 1788 or 89, uh, the, uh, there were only 11 states. Two states had not ratified the Constitution. That was North Carolina and Rhode Island. Uh, there are no overt threats of invasion, but they were told that they would be treated as foreign countries and they wouldn't be allowed to trade with the other states until they joined the so Union. So base, <laughs> it's just atrocious because if you go back and remind everybody, the Articles of Confederation required everybody to agree on any new agreements. So really, that old that that Constitution isn't even valid unless all the states agree. And then they had the audacity to to tell them that. Unbelievable. That. Well, here, here's a couple of things to also consider, was that uh, New York sent three delegates, uh, Robert Yates, uh, Alexander Hamilton, John Lansing, Jr. Uh, Robert Yates and John Lansing, Jr. left in July and said, look, we can't stay here because we're, you're, exceeding, you're exceeding the authority we were given by the people of our state, and we're not going to do this. So, in other words, the only people with uh, character left. <laughs> mm -mm. Um, the powers that be don't want us to talk about that, I think. Or, Mike, you were cutting out. Well, uh, I, I keep hearing it in my ears, too, and this is becoming a more and more <laughs> frequent operation every yeah. time I try to do a program. I think we're getting over the target. What about you? <laughs> we're well, taking some flack. Well, seems to be pretty heavy, Jim. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, absolutely. North Carolina and uh, Rhode Island came in under coercion. Uh, under the Articles of Confederation, every state had to agree. Now, if we look at our Declaration of Independence, uh, Thomas Jefferson said that all just governments, just just justice you know that word all just governments can only exist under the consent of the governed he didn't say a consent of the majority of the governed he didn't say a consent of three-quarters of those governed he said all of the governed 
And if that is why the Articles of Confederation, Article 13, was written the way it was. No law could pass the federal government that wasn't approved by every state in the Union. That'd now, be wonderful the today. The object here is that uh, if you read, um, I'm trying to think of his name right now, but anyway, the Frenchman uh, who wrote uh, on the uh, democ- wrote a book Bastiat. called Democracy. Bastiat. Uh, I'm sorry, say again? Frederick Bastiat. Oh, no, it wasn't him. Oh, uh, de Tocqueville? Anyway, uh, his chapter 15, I'll think of it in a minute. De Tocqueville. Uh, uh, Jim, I'm getting older. Uh, but uh, his uh, chapter 15 is called Tyranny of the Majority. And that's exactly what what we have in this country. A democracy is a tyranny of the majority. Yep. And I used to start my classes out. When I was teaching, I would look out into the classes, especially when I was teaching at college, and I would look out, or high school, and I would look out into, and I would figure out how many men or how many women we had in the class, uh, males, females. And back then, you know, they they were males and females. Nobody got to declare something else. So, but anyway, <laughs> I would look out there and I would say, okay, all right, uh, here, today, do you agree that we live under a democracy? Well, you know, almost everybody's hand would fly up. Yes, I agree. Yes, I agree. I say, anybody doesn't agree? And they would say no. And I'd say, okay, well, I did a count here when I got here today, and I noticed we have 14 women and 11 men. So you men are going to be all right if the 14 women write a law that they can castrate you at will. That's majority. Fun, fun, fun. And if it was the other way around, if if the if the if it was weighted the other way around, if I had more men than women, I'd say, okay, the men have gotten together and they have written a rule that they can rape you women at any time they want. Now that's majority rule. I said, now how many of you people want a democracy? Well, suddenly no one in my classes wanted a democracy anymore. Imagine that. And I said, we were never intended to be a democracy. And then I went into the quotes. John Adams said there never was a democracy that didn't commit suicide. Yep. Jefferson said a democracy was mob rule. Ben Franklin said a democracy is two wolves and a chicken deciding what's for dinner. But in the Republic, the chicken is well-armed. Yes. (laughs) Yes. <laughs> uh, he's uh, disputing the uh, results. Uh, yep. So that is the... We keep... And watch how we have been with this massive psyop. Look mm-hmm. at how often the talking plastic heads on television say over and over and over again, uh, our democracy. They're attacking our democracy. We're oh, going yep. to implement democracy. Yep. Of course they are. Because they have the ability to buy the majority to do what they want. And if they don't, they will just, uh, you know, have a fraudulent election like they've had in the past. Although I made a statement with a friend of mine the other day, I do not believe America has ever had an honest election. Ever. Probably not. Somebody counting the votes always wanted something to go their way, I'm sure. We always know in 1960 that uh, actually uh, Nixon won the election, and it was voter fraud in Chicago that uh, 
that uh, gave the seat to JFK. Man. That is, that's a known fact. Yep. I want to jump in here real quick. Um, Brad is back, and uh, I got a question in the chat room from Unplugged that kind of goes along with what we were talking about, so I kind of thought we'd throw these together. Um, Unplugged would like to know if, uh, if Mike, when you get a chance, can uh, comment on this possibility of the federal government mandating vaccines uh, constitutionally, governors, state governors, and all that kind of stuff, or any rights we may have personally. Uh, so let her rip on that. And first well, off, they're not vaccines. They're bioweapons, but go ahead. Well, and that is true, and no one has spent more money. You mentioned how what Fauci spent. No one has spent more money on this planet on bioweapons than has the United States government. Yeah. Especially and now. so that, uh, the thing of it is, uh, Unplugged, is what we deal with here is what we've talked about on Jim's show here before. You've got three provisions in the Constitution that made us all slaves. All the government has to do is that what they are doing is necessary and proper for the general welfare. They can do any damn thing they want to as long as they preface it with that because that's in the Constitution. And if you live in a state who think you're going to suddenly come up with some rules under the Tenth Amendment and tell them, no, they can't do this and no, they can't do that, they have the Supremacy Clause, Article 6, Clause 2. And they've used that whenever needed. This is the thing that people really need to understand. Under the Constitution and the Bill of Rights, you have no rights. It's real simple. I hope I answered that for you, Unplugged. I, I still have to take uh, issue with one part, the necessary and proper. Because according to it, it says to make all laws which shall be necessary and proper for carrying into execution the foregoing powers, which were listed in Article 1, uh, before that, and that's right. the things like borrowing money on the credit, regulating commerce, and all that kind of stuff. Right. So how do we, you know, basically they're gonna they're just gonna imp uh, imply that it covers everything? Is that's well, that's what you're saying, right? Well, Jim, it, what you go back to it says in pursuance of the Constitution. Well, the Constitution under Article One, Section Eight, Clause Eighteen says the Congress can pass any law which they deem necessary and proper for the general welfare or, you know, whatever. Well, where I'm saying it doesn't say that. That's what I'm getting at. This is Article 1, Section 8. Uh, the, yeah, it's the last clause yeah. right before Section 9. It doesn't say uh, pursuant. It just says for the foregoing powers. No, the uh, Article 6, Clause 2 says the... Uh, it's the supremacy clause. About in, the, in pursuance of. Uh, right. No, Article 1, Section 8, Clause 18, uh, and we're talking about Patrick Henry. Patrick Henry said at the Virginia Ratification Convention, the necessary and proper clause would be the window through which all manners of evil would pass. Well, I guess it depends on how you read it, because you know, where I'm reading it, it basically says for the things that are you know, in Article 1, Section 8, pursuant, or prior to Clause 18. Which is just well, the powers of Congress, so to speak. The I, point of it is, Jim, and the Supreme Court has ruled this, ruled on this on multiple occasions. It says that the uh, general government 
has whatever implied powers they want. Whatever they have implied powers to do whatever they want is basically what the uh, and the first uh, time. Well, I would definitely take if issue with those bozos too. <laughs> Because that, you know, to me, that's not what it says. But you well, know, I, I see how they're getting I, there. I agree with you, and I have made that argument before. But the mm -hmm. uh, people who are ruling us, yeah, and that's where it's our job to say, here. I don't care what you say, you're wrong. You know, the people yeah. are the final arbiter. Yes, that's it, and mm -hmm. that is why Jefferson and Madison both said, if we go under the presumption that the judicial branch is the final arbiter of what is and what is not constitutional, yeah. we do not live in a republic, we do not live in a democracy, we live in an oligarchy. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you got nine people that are determining, you know, whether you can or can't, basically. Nine politically well-connected, unelected Bought people and paid for. for life. Mm -hmm. Hey, Gaddy. Yes, sir. This is Brad asking this, and I've, I'm thinking this through as you guys were talking, talking about the transition from the Articles of Confederation to the Constitution. If a man could bring that to a head in front of a court, assuming the court was fair, <laughs> well, well, let's just say they're not. And either way, they'd have to make a ruling, right? They'd have to say, okay, well, the Articles of Confederation required X stipulation for anything new, and we didn't honor that. So theoretically, we have an illegitimate constitution, correct? Yes. Mm -hmm. So yep. if they said, well, we're going to we're going to honor that, it is an illegitimate constitution, then America would probably be a whole lot better off, unbeknownst to them. But if they said, no, that's a legitimate constitution— Aren't they setting the precedent that you can violate whatever ruling document is in place as long as it brings about a new ruling document? I mean, don't you kind of have them by the short and curlies there? Well, you do, but you don't have the power to enforce it, which is what Patrick Henry talked about. He said these uh, rights that you have listed in the uh, Bill of Rights do not nearly reach what uh, liberties the people should have, but even as such— you have no mechanism for enforcing them. Is is there a way to inflame the BLM types and get them on our side about, uh, like, maybe there's a way to co-op <laughs> some of these groups that are so PO'd, you know? Well, if we had George Soros's money, we might could coerce some of them, Cody, but I don't have that. Yeah, maybe they'll swing any way the money's going. Yeah. Well, potentially, but I mean, if these people, I mean, there's, they obviously have some political beefs. I mean, if you go, weren't some of the black people cheated out of 40 acres and a mule or something after there were some different promises? There were a lot of, I mean, there was, there well, were some people that were cheated out of, you know, so there's some legitimate beefs out there. Oh, many, many were, but uh, here's the thing. Uh, stop and think about this. The black people are not upset today in, uh, about uh, the, Tuskegee inst the Tuskegee experiment where uh, black men were injected with syphilis for 40 years uh, for a government study. They're not upset about that. Well, they got the, one of the lowest vaccination rates in Alabama, so they're, they're doing it peacefully. Well, that's one state. Yeah. yeah. 
but I mean, there must be some resentment that they've got. You know, they know about it there because they, they're claiming it's the lowest vaccination. Well, rates. but again, we go back to the majority rules, Cody. Yeah. 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 What and about he with the most power. That idea that, you know, what, how did you say it earlier that, uh, you know, consent to the government is 100% consent? I mean, we should promote that idea and make people really think about that, that nobody has the right to, even if it's three quarters of a vote, it ain't, you know three-quarters of the state's vote, you know, what right does that give you? I don't know. There's got to be some marketing thing that we can... And again, going back to Unplug's question, I don't care how many people think it's the right thing to do with mandating vaccines or injections. You You know, if every single person in this country thought it was a good idea but me, that still does not give them the right to force it on me. And it goes down to the same thing. You know, if your vaccine works, then why do I need to take it? And if it doesn't work, exactly. why do I need to take it? You know, those are the two questions they ask. You know, they're pushing it, and it, and that just proves it's not about the injection. It's about controlling people and killing people. Well, Jim, the problem with all of that is you and I know that. You, we have that uh, figured out. And yeah, we have brain cells. segment of America <laughs> that has that figured out. The yeah. problem is, is we are in a very distinct minority. Mm-hmm. Yep. And that's why I have lots of guns. <laughs> well, hey, Jim, that was something I wanted to touch on uh, that has happened, and I'm going to completely jump ship here and talk Go ahead. about something else. But here is a heads up for the people out there in the ammo department. Mm-hmm. I, I learned two days ago through a very, very reliable source Uh that the United States government has not only bought all of the ammunition that's being produced in Turkey and Croatia in plants that sell to America. Not only have they bought all the ammunition, they bought the physical plants themselves. So that now the federal government actually owns the means of production of ammo in Turkey and Croatia. Wow. (laughs) That's amazing. Not surprising, but I'm surprised Joe Biden could find those places on the map. One of them produced 2 million rounds of ammo a month. Mm Mm-hmm. Good grief. Well, luckily, there's some new um, plants coming online in the U.S., which hopefully they don't control. Uh, And... Lots of people are out there reloading. The biggest problem is primers. That's where all the, the, they have a shortage of one component. And when you don't got primers, you can't make cartridges. And that really well, causes problems. Then we, then we need some independent plants to produce primers. Mm-hmm. Maybe we need to raise money for a uh, Patriot uh, factories or something. I guess they've made everybody so broke over this last year that that was one of their game plans probably. Well, well, yeah, and they've been buying up ammo for so long. That we have all of this vaccine thing pushing right now is the fact that the Social Security system's broke. It's mm-hmm. beyond broke. And last year, the federal government didn't collect because of so many people not working and handing out gimmies that people stayed out of work is that the Social Security system took a huge hit in the amount of money sent into the Social Security system. Social Security is officially broke 
And the way that you remedy that problem is you kill off a bunch of old folks. You don't have to pay as much. Imagine that. Part of the program. Exactly. You know, a lot of Social Security checks don't have to go out anymore, especially in Michigan and New York and a couple other Democratic states. Well, one of the things jumping back into the other side there with the, especially with the Supremacy Clause. Mm-hmm. And the Supremacy Clause, as written by Luther Martin, the Attorney General for the state of Maryland, the, in the Supremacy Clause, in the judicial system, all Supreme Court hearings would have had a jury to rule on them, a jury of the people. Mm-hmm. And there's no way in hell that these federal courts want the people to decide whether they're right or wrong, I promise you. Right, definitely. And that's why they got rid of the Supreme Court juries. They originally had some, didn't they? I thought they did at the beginning. Well, he wrote it in, uh, but it was eliminated by Gouverneur Morris in the Committee of Style. Okay, so before they even got things going... They right. did away and with Gouverneur it. Morris was also the one who added Article 1, Section 8, Clause 18, the Necessary and Proper Clause. He <laughs> added that. Of course And he there did. is no show of anywhere during a committee of the whole that that provision in the Constitution was ever introduced, argued, debated, voted on. It was just added after the fact. I'm really starting to dislike that guy. Now, see what's happened, Cody, is, is this is hard for people to understand. But by the time that the uh, Constitution went to the Committee of Style, the only two anti-federalists who were left were George Mason and Elbridge Gerry. So there was a huge majority of federalists who had written the Constitution and I believe that they wanted the provisions that Gouverneur Morris added in the end, many of whom, several of which had been voted down during the Committee of the Whole. Gouverneur Morris added them back, and then they signed it. Yes. Why did, uh, why did George Mason say that he would rather chop off his right hand than sign it? That's pretty radical. <laughs> Why did Elbridge Gary refuse to sign it? Did we either of those guys write as anti-federalists? But we do know the others did sign it. They were the ones who wrote it. So they're going to write and what they thought they might not get by with in a debate on the committee of the whole, Gouverneur Morris added it at the end. Do we know if the ratification was were legal at all the states? They were just hoodooed into it or do we think that they were all legal? Well, uh, you know, it's pretty uh, well known that, yeah, they probably were in some respects, but what about the election of the delegates? Was that legal? Did the common man, did the common man get to send anybody to the uh, ratification convention? Now, we're about out of time, Jim. Yeah, we are. So why don't you tell us about, uh, well, first off, Mike's got a website, um, rebelmanman.com, and it's linked on my site under the links page. And he's also got uh, on Telegram um, constitutional fraud and rebel madman on, on Telegram as well. So check those out. Lots of great information. And Mike, tell them again about your radio shows. 
Well, uh, tomorrow at uh, 12 noon Eastern, I will have a, a program called Dare to Think Out Loud, where uh, Cal Robbins and I will delve deeper into the pers personality that was Patrick Henry. Uh, and uh, that's on Revolution Radio Studio A. On Sunday evenings at 6 p.m., I am on and I uh, have my friend uh, Daryl Wayne come on and we talk about uh, various subjects. But this Sunday, we will be continuing with uh, our study of Mr. Patrick Henry. Yeehaw. And I'm sure those are going to be fantastic. I uh, listened to um, Sunday's uh, last Sunday's show uh, yesterday as I was driving around. And, man, as always, it was a home run, a grand slam out of the park. Um, uh, thank you, Jim. Yeah, for any of you guys out there that are not listening to Mike's shows, at least make sure you go and get the replays. Um, get those uh, archives and, and listen to them when you have time. They are just fantastic. I mean, it's everything that you always wanted to learn in high school history but didn't. <laughs> and then some. Uh, so it's, it's good stuff. It's a great education and, uh, they cover all the bases. Uh, well, and also Jim, I should add, if you're on Facebook folks, uh, I have a group called a bill of rights or a bill of goods. And I also have a, uh, teach me, uh, platform on messenger for any of those who would like to become involved. Thanks for allowing me to say that, Jim. Uh, my pleasure. And Unplug said that he's posted some of the links from your Telegram page on for others to see on other Telegram pages. So he's spreading the word. We appreciate you, that Unplugged. so much. And uh, let's see here. So, yeah, we've got about two and a half minutes left. So I'll let either you and Brad, either one of you want to have any final, Brad, you got any final questions or comments? Knock it out, Brad. Well, I think when you, you look at everything that Mike brings to the table, some of the stuff I'm going through right now, and a, a man starts to see that this has been in the works a long, long, long time. Oh, you and have no idea. Whether it was by design or happen chance, these people have been positioning themselves for over 200 years mm -hmm. to own us. The sleight of hand was that this is the type of freedom where we actually... This is the type of slavery where we actually think that we're free. At exactly. least when God's people were enslaved in Egypt, they knew it. They were in bondage. They were they were miserable. It was slavery that looked like slavery. The, the form that we experience is probably the most dangerous because you don't even know you're trapped. Yep. It's well, like... Brad, let me say something very quickly. You folks have listened to Brad there. He is a uh, representative of the people in Ohio. And let me tell you, he sets an example for what all representatives should actually be like, because you get to hear his thought processes on critical issues. Thank you for that, Brad. Thanks, Mike. And, uh, you know, I would say it's just like um, your friend Cal likes to say, I think, um, I just had a brain freeze. <laughs> I hate when that happens. It's called a senior moment, Jim. <laughs> oh, baby, and I'm getting some senior. Um Good heavens. I don't know what it was. Anyway, it was good. So you'll just have to take my word for it. <laughs> oh, man. Rebecca says, yeah, my memory is poo, too. <laughs> Your favorite is if you want to control the op if you want to be the, if you want to control the opposition, you have to be the opposition. So there you go. That's a good way of putting it, too. But, uh, yeah, I wish I could remember because it was really good and it fit right in here. 
and uh, for the life of me it just it just escaped completely it's in another world but uh, we're just about out of time anyway so again i want to thank all you guys for being here uh cody and brad and uh, uh robert and of course mike thank you so much for being here it's been a wonderful show uh unplugged and rebecca in the chat room great to have you guys there Everybody, uh, take care of your bodies because the only place you have to live will be uh, replay tomorrow. The show will replay at uh, the same time tomorrow. And otherwise, uh, we will be back live on Monday. So take care, and we will see you all then. Have a wonderful weekend. Take care, and God bless. Thanks, Jim. Thank you.